Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of the Changeover Podcast. This is your host, Alana Sparrow, and this is part two of my interview with Ginger Wolf. So those of you who listened to last week's episode, you know that Ginger was featured on the hit A&E show, Intervention. Uh, she struggled with the prescription medication to the point where it had become an addiction. Uh, she was, according to the show, she had become a sugar baby, quote unquote, to support her habit. Um, in part one, when we talk to Ginger, Ginger tells us that at that point it had become full-blown prostitution. So make sure y'all check out part one for all the details. And it's literally called Couldn't Be Me for a reason. When y'all see the title, y'all got to hear me saying it like that. <laughs> Couldn't be me, baby. Um, but that's the gist of part one and not because it just sounds some type of way to say, you know, I'm better than that. Couldn't be me. No. Not at all. In part one, you realize that, you know, Ginger felt the same way and life happened. Life happens to all of us. So make sure you check out part one to get those nuggets and listen in to part two. Part two, we go into her experience in prison. Um, This is called a welcome to prison for a reason. Um, A lot of times when you're getting ready to go somewhere new, Um, I know in my line of work, you get a welcome letter and they let you know, hey, here's what to expect. Here's what we're doing. Um, I'm pretty sure that's not the case with prison. I didn't ask, um, but I'm pretty sure that's not the case. And in the same manner that any other like place that I would go, i.e. like a school or something like that, where you get that welcome letter, um, it's an incubation period and there's a lot to be learned so Ginger shares her nuggets with us. We go over living in your truth. We go over like others' capacity to love and cutting cords and just just so much in these 15 minutes. So make sure that your AirPods are charged, that whoever is in your face know you're not listening. Um, <laughs> and just get ready to like really soak in all the good information we go over um part three will be out in a few days so catch this and i'll talk to y'all at the end of the episode whether you're comfortable where you are but still wanting more or you're dying to find a place of peace a few consistent decisions is a sure way to begin changing your life We're going to break down every important decision we make and how to stop letting life happen to us and discuss how to make it happen for us. Join us as we talk about your year of transformation. Welcome to The Changeover. Here is your happy host, Alana Sparrow. Um, Okay, so Ginger just told y'all that she had never been like in trouble as far as like going to like jail and all that jazz and then this one night kind of changes her life and she finds herself in prison for three years um so in prison tell me about prison i right here like my notes i have the pen piles okay so that was so prison prison was different i came in i was still on drugs because i was sent to bond um so i detoxed my first three weeks in prison they had to send me to um outside medical unit where I was in like a regular hospital handcuffed to the bed because I went into kidney and liver failure. Oh, wow. um, I was in the hospital there for like four or five days. And the only reason why they even took me to the hospital is because I pretended like I couldn't breathe because I was, I was in a certain Tuesday 
I was in prison Thursday night. Um, and then by that Wednesday, I was in kidney and liver failure. Oh, wow. Uh, I was throwing up so bad. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't stand up. I couldn't, couldn't urinate. I couldn't do any of the things that your body normally does. I was hallucinating. Um, and the, by, finally, by the time I got to see a doctor on Wednesday, because um, I wasn't classified, you know, like your you, way it comes in, there's a process. You get classified. They rank you on, like, how dangerous they think you are, mm. what, how much of a pain in the ass they think you're going to be. Um, and that determines, like, what job you get, where your placement is, and mm-hmm. to be honest, kind of how you're treated. Okay. Um, so when I was in there, I wasn't classified. So they didn't know what they were dealing with, with me, and nobody really wanted to take the time to, to deal with me. Um, so when, when I finally did see the doctor and I realized that they couldn't, they, had, they hadn't even had an IV on me, um, he finally sent me to the hospital. But either way, that was kind of like my welcome to prison. was, mm. you're going to die in here. You can't figure this shit out. Mm. Um, and then uh, they, put, they put me in the kitchen for a while, which was like, you know, just super hot. There's no AC. so someone Oh, that's not stroke. good for you with like a heat stroke, yeah. you know, background. Yeah. And then it's, and I've got issues with my back and stuff, too. So I fought and fought and fought for, like, a year and a half before they finally moved me out of there for medical reasons. Wow. Um, and, like, you know, prisons, it's just a, it's a different world, man. You know, you, for me, I made a lot, I did a lot of my time, like, trying to, um, trying to, to help people that didn't think they could make it through, whether they just be, be nice to them or give them money. They're not necessarily give them money, but, like, give them a soup or a thing of deodorant you'd be surprised how people act once you take away their basic necessities to live like yeah. their right to clean water their, you know their right to be able to take a shower you know to be able to to have your choice in food um we, we're no longer we don't act like people it's like being on an island in a free-for-all you know it's yeah. kind of everybody for themselves so it's a different mentality if that makes sense mm-hmm um, and then, uh, so we get towards, you know, I you're such a jewel, like, seriously. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so, so I, I make my way through prison, kind of my, my grandmother was really the only one who kind of rode with me. Uh, my parents never wrote me not once. Um, wow. My parents, my parents sent me money a little bit. And this is a thing too, like my brother had went through this. So like when my brother was in prison, oh, yeah. you, money, okay. they, you know, they went to see my brother, um, my dad wouldn't really even talk to me on the phone. My mom, every time I talked to her, she was overwhelmed. My brother at this point was home and living with them because he was back on drugs. The whole thing, you know, I was, I was reaching out to empty wells and mm-hmm. wondering why I still was thirsty. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and that, Ooh, girl, that was, that, hold on, hold on. You were reaching out to empty wells and you were wondering why you were still thirsty. Oh, girl, hold on. Wait, wait. I need y'all to take that in. Okay. It's been a recurring theme for me in my life. I go to people who um, I know are not my, my, my family, my parents. I know my parents are never going to give me the love um, that I would like to receive from them. Mm-hmm. So I'm constantly butting heads with them. Um, instead of just accepting the fact that, hey, this, this is all that they can do. You know, mm-hmm. this is all that they're ever going to do or whatever the situation is. Mm-hmm. Don't, you can't expect you can't expect a lion to be a gazelle. Right. You know? Understand their capacity because yeah. it's their capacity, you know. Yes, yes. And, uh, and that's a big thing I've always run up against is I expect people to do the same thing for me I would do for them or treat me the same way that I treat them. And it's just not realistic. 
Um, right. That, I think, was one of my most pivotal growing points. So I'm, I'm, I'm in prison. I'm realizing that, you know, my family is not, is even less supportive than I thought that they would be. Um, and I, I had nobody but my grandmother. I got $100 a month for my grandmother. Uh, and when you're in an institution, I don't know what you know about Lowell, but it's the most investigated institution in the country. It's the largest women's institution in the country, and it has more reports for inmate or uh, officer on inmate violence, officer on inmate rape, um, things like that, than any other institution in the country. Um, wow. So I, I experienced all the things that you see in prison movies, all those things that occurred at Lowell. Um, mm. If they didn't happen to me, I witnessed them happen to, some, happen to someone else. Wow. Um, and that's, we'll just leave that at that. Okay. Um, so I get, so now, um, we'll say I'm two years into my, uh, on, in prison, you do 85% of your, or in Florida, you do 85% of your time. So if you're good, which I, I was relatively, I only ended up in confinement a couple times, um, and it was for minuscule things. Okay. Um, uh, you get your game time. So you do, for me, I was going to do two and a half years on three, as long as I was good. So we're a year and a half in, and I'm thinking, I, I need to do something. I need to, I'm going to go home to these parents that can't, that, that, that don't have the capacity to be parents to me. And they, they, maybe they shouldn't. Fuck them. By this point, I'm 24. You know what I mean? Does, yeah, when you're fair. 24, I don't, I don't know where you're at. Do you still need parents? You know? Yeah. Where, at what point do you cut the cord? Right. So, so in my mind, I'm going to be on house arrest. I have no license for the rest of my life. And my parents live out, like, you know where West King is? To, to yeah. turn into 214? Uh, my parents live out. Yes. Okay, so past, like, the old black college. Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Okay, so my parents live out that way, out past 95. Mm-hmm. So my parents live a good 30 minutes from town. My dad, my mom and dad were both working their business. There was going to be no way for me to get a job. There was going to be no way for me to make a mo- make any money to pay off these fines because I couldn't get anywhere. I couldn't get to work. So that's where my head was. A year yeah. before coming home from prison, I'm thinking, I'm going to end up back in this place because I can't, I'm not going to be able to do the house arrest because I'm not going to be able to get a job because I can't drive and there's nobody that's going to be able to take me to work. Um, and there's no money to live anywhere else. So then I started doing, I started looking around at what everybody else was doing in prison to make money. Because there were people in there that were making money, people in there that were cutting home big checks to their family. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, how? And um, I started watching, and there were, there was, you know, obviously there's the drug trade, there's the sex trade, and then there's Pen Pal. Pen Pal was around, I decided to go. <laughs> <laughs> If I had to choose, I feel like I probably would have went the same route, pen pal. I can write to people. And uh, what I realized what a lot of people were doing, and you see, and it's so, and the way it works too is it's not necessarily, you're not necessarily allowed to, quote, advertise for pen pal because there had been issues where, where you couldn't advertise for pen pal online. There's, you know, websites. It's like write a prisoner or penpal.com or inmate, inmate something. I don't, I don't know the name of them, but mm-hmm. uh, beyond the walls or something, I think was one. But um, somebody else had told me about them and, had got her had got her people to set me up with like a little ad. You basically it's kind of like a personal ad in a, a a prison website where you know you just say kind of like what you did. There's a picture of you and you know what you enjoy and kind of like what your hopes are getting out. Or at least that's what I said for mine. Yeah. You can write whatever the hell you want. Um, I kind of wanted to be 
relatively true to, to who I was and what I was really looking for. I was really looking just for a friend. It would be great if I could find someone to send me money or someone to hook me up with a connection or somewhere else to go. Um, and that was so you I, said I your grandma was the only one who would write you, right? Right. And my grandmother was 80-something at this point, so I could barely read her writing. Sometimes my aunt would write letters for her. Mm-hmm. And my aunt didn't really care for me too much, so nah. it was more just just because she wanted to do it for my grandmother, so my right. grandmother wasn't stressed about me. Um, but anyway, a lot of a lot of what I saw was women lying to people, saying, hey, I'm going to come home with you if you do this, if you do that, mm-hmm. and then they get the money, they leave. So for me, I never wanted to do that because, number one, I don't want someone looking for me when right. I went home because I'm right. on house arrest. I can't come home to you. Um, so I felt like that was part of why I was successful with this was because I was super honest. I was like, hey, this is what's going on. This is why I'm here. Um, you know, like I need some type of companionship while I'm in here in the form of letters, if you could send me stamps or envelopes or whatnot. And then people started asking, like, well, you know, you're on house arrest. What about your house arrest? How much are your fines? And I'd, I'd send them. I'd tell them, hey, it's this. You can look it up, blah, blah, blah. And I had a couple people that I guess looked it up and called the prison and found out when they realized what I was saying was true, dropped quite a bit of money in my account. Like, I walked out of prison with less than $10,000. $10, wow. Uh, and so, I think, okay, hold on. It's a lot of money, but in the time frame that I did it, you know, it, mm-hmm. I, did, I really started pimping within nine months because it takes several months just to get your ad out and then up and running. So within a nine-month period, I made probably $13,000 because I was spending money while I was in there, too. So I will tell you that that is definitely a lot of money, especially, like, not just considering the time frame, but when you think of, like, all the people that are, like, in that situation and they have nothing like that. Um, So you also mentioned... Um, like you were just real and transparent with people and that's a message. And then another thing I heard you say, I'm so sorry. My voice keeps like going in and out. Another thing I heard you say was while you were in prison, you were already like looking ahead at how you can make sure that when you got out, you were good to go like a year out. Like that is so commendable just because like so many people, we live on like a day-to-day kind of basis or maybe like next week or maybe what do I want to do? Like a couple of like weeks or a couple months down the road, like actually looking a year out to say, okay, well, look, these are the challenges that I feel like I'm going to face when I get out and I'm going to literally beat them right now. And to, to do that in a place where, in a place where most people are probably feeling like really low and really hopeless, like that's really legit. And um, it's, it's interesting, too, because I was at the point where, like, I didn't think ahead because I was this great planner. I thought I had because I was so desperate um, mm. because I had experienced some things in prison that mm-hmm. um, I'd never experienced in my life. Um, I saw someone get stabbed over a fucking Christmas card, a 50-cent Christmas card. Mm. Um, you have officers constantly putting you in precarious situations where they literally have control over your life, and it, it's like... Do you want to go home? Do you want to go home with me? Yeah, motherfucker, I want to go home, but I don't want you to fucking touch me. You know what I mean? So yeah. It's like, um, so in my mind, given where I was and what was going on in this, that facility and the fact that nobody was doing anything, because nobody cares. 
And I get it, you know, like we're all murderers, we're all whatever, whatever, whatever. I get it. I get it. There's real problems out here. People don't need to worry about, you know, what's going on to criminals. I get it. I get it. Um, but at the end of the day, nobody cares about what goes on back there. And for me to have been there once and to know what I was going to walk back into if I didn't figure something out, again, it was that I'm not doing this shit again. Yeah, I can't you do, do that. Yeah. Again. All right, y'all, that was part two of Ginger's story. Hopefully you had a million things that you were like, ooh, okay, let me think about this. Let me think about that. Um, Remember, this is about changeover, your changeover, your life, your terms. So grab what you can. uh, Make sure you rate, subscribe, review. And we'll be back, Ginger and I, in a couple of days for part three. Even though leaving a good place can be hard to do, it'll always be worth it when true happiness is the goal. Opportunities are everywhere. Are you prepared to take them? Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time, keep in mind, this is about your changeover.